Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with art therapist Dr. Gussie Clorer on expressive therapies in traumatized children. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter, joining you here from Chaddock. And I am thrilled to present another interview in our series of the expressive arts and attachment-based therapy. So my guest today is somebody whose work I've been following for a very long time. I believe I first heard her speak around 2000, uh, where she was at a an all-day workshop I attended with her. Um, and that person is Gussie Clore. Let me tell you a little bit about Gussie. She is a professor emeritus in the Department of Art and Design and Art Therapy Counseling Program at Southern Illinois University in Edwardsville. She's the author of Expressive Therapy with Traumatized Children, which came out in 2017. It is a second edition to an earlier book. And there's kind of an interesting story about that book, in particular, the title. So we'll be talking about that in our interview. She has written numerous journal articles and book chapters, and her academic research focuses on art therapy with children, adolescents, and families. Over the course of her career, she's served on editorial boards of the Trauma and Loss Interventions Journal, the American Journal of Art Therapy, and the Art Therapy Journal of the American Art Association. She has been the 2001 award recipient of the Clinician's Award from the American Art Therapy Association. She has retired from her private practice in art therapy in Clayton, Missouri, where she served children, adolescents, and families. She is a practicing artist working in mixed media. So hang on, Dr. Clore will be right up. So hi, Gussie. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. It's so good to continue talking with you. Well, hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. I guess I did okay last time that you invited me back. So. <laughs> you know, um, in our uh, first interview, I feel like there's so much just in the first couple chapters of your book that I, you know, I was joking. I think I better speed it along a little bit more here um, in terms of what we're talking about. It, 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 there was just so much that I wanted to address there. So, uh, well, so you um, are uh, an art therapist. You've worked with children with severe attachment issues, trauma issues, 
through mainly using art and, and that's what we have been talking about. There's some other things that you incorporate and I have to, we have to talk about this because I feel like it's like one of your signature interventions that I remember from your first talk I ever heard is the cooper band. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. Could you tell, could you tell listeners what those are, how you use them? And oh, that you know what, they, they are amazing. And did I show a video at that at that presentation, yes. okay, yes. yeah, they're amazing. Yes. Cooper bands were designed by dance therapists, actually, and yes. it is a huge elastic loop that you get inside of the loop with the child, and you experiment with closeness and distance. And let, I mean, this is how I use it. Yes, probably used in many different ways. Yeah, the way I use it with children with attachment issues as we get inside the band together and then I let them kind of control how close or how far apart we get and then we start playing with it and what I want to see what I hope to see is that the child will start to use the cooper band to kind of bounce back and forth with me a little bit because it's elastic it stretches yeah and then ultimately what I hope to do is help the child get comfortable enough that they're willing to kind of pull back and then and then let the band kind of push them forward into my arms or their foster mom's arms or their mom's arms, whoever's doing the yes. same with me. Yes. Ideally, it's the parent. Um, yes. In my work, I often didn't have a parent to work with, so it had to be me. But yes. ideally, it would be a way to work with a child on closeness and distance and letting the child control those interactions and in a playful way, in a way yes. it's fun for the child. And um, it, it is fun for the kids. They, they seem to like it. How children approach that cooper band has has been all over the map. I've had kids who would get inside the band and would never face me at all, but would continue to walk away from me. And then I would just kind of follow them at you know whatever distance the band would would allow us to be. So the typical band is about five feet in diameter if there's two people in it. So okay. Uh, so they would just walk away from me and I would just follow. And and you know, for some kids that was all they could do at first. And yes. You know, it just really depends on the child um as to, to when they're ready to to do more with it. So yeah it's a fascinating it's a fascinating um prop to have because it really does deal with helping the child control relationship. Yes. Control closeness. And, and it also helps you to assess that, you know. Yes, you give so many great examples of using it. Like I said, I remember the first time I heard you years ago, I thought she loves these things. She I really did. I did love them. I, yeah, I, truthfully, truthfully. Yeah. And and it was just kind of happenstance to to find them at a conference. Um, yeah. You can find them on the internet now. Um, Cooperative. Okay. Yeah, it's like C-O- hyphen o-p-e-r right. right and then band. band yeah 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 so i wonder um if you could uh, one chapter in the book that was as a therapy therapist and somebody that works a lot with parent child parents and children together in a dyadic way 
I was very interested in the section in your book about working with whole families and different assessments that you do with um, whole families and different drawings that you do. I found all of that really fascinating. Could you share a little bit about some of that work? How, as an art therapist, do you work with entire families? Well, and if you have a specific family in mind, refresh my memory and I can talk about that one. But basically, um, the family work, you know, is so important. It, yes. you know, I would love for every every child to have a family that I could work with, but they didn't all. You know, I worked with a lot yes. of residential and there just wasn't a family to work with. So yes. when there is a family, I think to bring them in um, and have them involved with the work is really, really important. And you brought up TheraPlay. Um, what an important tool too. And maybe I'm going off point now, but um, TheraPlay, for those that don't know it, it's, it basically reintroduces those very early games that parents play with children that are really relational games. So games like peekaboo or, um, you know, where's the baby and hide the baby and, you know, all yes. of those things. They're, they're very important relational games. And yes. parents who didn't play those games with those kids may need to be taught how to play those games. Yes. um, I've worked with foster moms, um, one in particular that I'm thinking of, who came into therapy with her two-year-old, two and a half, maybe almost three, and she was really having a hard time bonding with this child. Well, this child was exploding all over the place, you know. Yes. And so teaching her just some of those early, it was a single mom who had never had a child before. Mm -hmm. So just teaching her some of those early games just to help this child learn to relate, to make eye contact, to, you know, Mm -hmm. play was Mm -hmm. really, really the biggest part of our therapy was things where we just played little games and, um, and it, it really did help in terms of their bonding. Um, and, and it it helped the mom understand a little bit that little girl too. It helped her understand that, you know, all of this energy and everything that we could, we could channel that a little bit. We could, you know, we could in a, in an intentional way, we could help that little girl challenge some of channel some of that. Yes, yes. Um, You were also talking about um, something that felt very, I guess, uh, parallels what we do in in TheraPlay where we will use games from what we call activities from what we call the structure dimension. And we will you know, have a parent in charge of something, mm-hmm. you know, like it's, it's, it's mother may I, or it's Simon says to help particularly parents that lack the ability to set structure for whatever reason, based on their own history or whatever, that is difficult for them and the children need it. Mm-hmm. And so then I saw a parallel in how you would set up an art activity, mm-hmm. but you know, maybe the parent would direct or select materials. Can you talk yeah. about that a little bit more? Yes, I think that's really important too. Again, trying to empower the parents is yeah. really important. Empower them and help them feel successful because mm-hmm. some of the parents just get so frustrated. And so, mm-hmm. for example, we would set up, I would set up a mural activity where they were going to, um, 
make a house. And so I suggested that the parents draw the structure of the house. Draw yes, the I love that. That, that was, yes. yeah. Draw that the boundaries example. because, yeah, yes. we want parents to set boundaries. So I want you yes. to draw the boundaries and, you know, show the kids where their room's going to be and, you know, and make the structure for the kids. And then the kids come in after and start decorating the house. Mm-hmm. Um, or we would do another example. We do three-dimensional sculptures and I would assign the parent the glue gun, which is dangerous. Yes. Um, so I let kids use glue guns all the time, but um, give that role to the parents so that the kids have to go to the parent and get, yes. you know, and get their needs met. And, you know, it's all metaphor, but it's it's ways for the family to practice some of these roles that, that are very necessary in a family. Yes. And what about some of the assessments like... Um, this the scribble I forget exactly what it's family scribble or joint painting uh-huh. so I would like if you could talk about some of those not 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 necessarily in in so much a detail that um may, maybe it's not something you should do without training but um some of those I found it so interesting how what you would see play out in those assessments or directives um yeah. was similar to dynamics the family had right in other arenas so yeah and I think that's exactly it that that what you do in therapy and family therapy with art therapy is absolutely a metaphor for what's happening at home so I would set up a um, joint family activity of some kind and it could be anything and then what I want to see is how do the parents solve this problem you know, we I've given them this challenge and how do they solve it? Who takes leadership? Um, who gets left out? Um, how do they negotiate the space? You know, just all of those things that you're going to observe while they're doing this art activity is going to give you an understanding of the dynamics and the relationships that happen at home all the time. And then we can talk about that. Um, yes. Depending on the situation, if we're doing an, an actual family assessment, I might meet with the parents later and, you know, in another in a separate session to talk about what the dynamics were, you know, and, and ask their impression. What did you notice, you know, about the dynamics of the session? Um, so you if, know, you were, it, if you were I'm sorry, if, no, I was just gonna say, say, if you were doing more information. Yeah, yeah. If you were doing like the scribble drawing or a joint painting procedure, how yeah. might you see some of these dynamics, um, family dynamics play out? Because okay. you did mention the joint painting was you had found very useful for internationally adopted kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that? Okay. It, I almost can't answer the question because it 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 is different with every single family. Yeah, um, it might be better for me to think of an example. You know, okay. One example. Do you have an example from the book that stood um, out for you? Let me see. Um, I think it was more just overall themes of you know. Um, Maybe the the children taking over and the parents unable to to you know set limits or something. Yeah. Or well, I can think of an example, and I actually have this one on videotape of a family with two young boys, and they were doing a joint picture, and 
and the little the the identified client was very resistant and and you know didn't want to share his you know his space on the paper he didn't want anybody to color in his area but you're all on the same piece of paper so obviously everybody's gonna you know so they have to negotiate that space but then at the end I asked them to title it and that's when that little boy just took 100% control and he refused to agree to any title that anybody in the family came up with he just flat out refused and so you know we we worked with them and you know tried to get that title to happen and it never did during that session um so so it gave us a lot of information about how these parents gave this little boy way too much power Mm -hmm. way too much power and my co-therapist who who at that time was Jim Consoli who um was at Eastern Virginia Medical School and um, he was the he was the primary therapist in that session, and so he gave them some homework. He said, "Okay, you know, you have to come up with a title before your next session." Well, then the next session, um, they had come up with a title, but you know, the important part was that we saw we saw the dynamic of, and it gave us something to talk to the parents about later. That this yeah. child is running your show. Yeah. And, you know, do you really want a six-year-old to run the show? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, a, a, a thing that you say in the book um, when talking about parents lacking structure, that you worked with parents who think discipline is going to harm the child's self-esteem or self-worth. Right. And this is a common thing that has infiltrated the culture, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yes, yes. And and for the most part, I'm not worried about kids' self-esteem for the most part. You know, kids have too much self-esteem today. You know, yeah. Um, yeah. parents, the kids need the parent to be a parent. And um, parents who are afraid to, to set limits and boundaries are going to let their kids just run all over. And, and that's not good for the kid. Right. Just right. Not. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know where that comes from that, that inability for parents to take charge. Um, I, I don't know where that comes from in our society because it, it seems to be more in the last, I'd say 20 years that parents have just really pulled back from parenting and, um, yes. And so it, trying to help parents see, no, you're not being mean by telling your eight-year-old that they're not going to get a cell phone or that they have to be, right. you know, whatever, whatever the issue right. is. Right, right. Um, that their parents are often afraid to say no. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I really encourage parents to stay in control and to be the parent. Yes, I, I agree and see this so often. And I think that, you know, one thing that I often share with parents is structure and limits create safety mm -hmm. for children. You know, not that it, it means you're mean or, or awful, really. They, they need that to feel safe. They need, they love the language from circle of security. They need to feel there's a bigger, stronger, wiser presence. Right in this room in this family than me because you know right. i'm four right. okay right exactly. so, which is terrifying to yeah. think that 
you're in charge. On, yeah. on one hand, you want it. On another hand, it's terrifying. Yeah. So, yeah. So we are sure on the same page with that. Yeah. Another thing, and this is more, it seems to me a a more global attitude that you have that I found so refreshing, probably thinking like, what is she going to say? We can't assume because there's abuse, the child is traumatized. And you're very much suggesting we need to separate, you know, what an event that we might think is traumatic does not traumatize everyone and you even share examples of the adults react the the child was doing really well but the adults reaction was so negative or so strong or so dysregulated that that impacted the child right right yeah let's yeah let's talk about that so how many times a parent has, has has brought me a child and the parent is you know so upset because um again i'll give you a specific example a couple of kids who had a babysitter they were in a bathtub and the and the babysitter you know touched their privates or whatever the parents were so distraught and felt like the child needed therapy and you know that this was going to be a lifelong trauma and i'm just like hold off hold off this child has had a lifetime of good boundary relationships this little incident doesn't have to be a trauma let's not make it a trauma you know and just really trying to settle the parents down that that you know I don't think this child needs therapy I think that the important thing is that you recognize that this is not a person that's going to come back into your house Mm -hmm. and that you've talked about it with your child and we can and we've talked about safe touch and and all of that and this this can end you know we mm-hmm. we don't have to keep talking about this yeah you know? yes well and when, when i'll say it again we cannot assume because there's been abuse the child is traumatized i read that in the book and then i like read it again and i was like are, are we allowed to say that is she like, like <laughs> well, what's gonna happen that, that you said that and um, i thought she's right but I don't know. Uh, yeah, but why, why does that feel like that's such a brave thing to say to me? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> well, I think because the media tells us that all of these things are so terrible, you know, but I think when you really work with it and you see real trauma all the time, yeah, you know, and I think that's the difference is that, that um, I've seen such severe trauma. I, I've seen trauma in kids that is unfathomable to most parents and you know and you put that on a continuum and this little touching incident in the bathtub is a blink it's nothing mm-hmm. you know it, and you're very clear in how you're talking about this if the child really is having trauma symptomology and and really you know had a reaction to it you're, you're not saying to ignore that but no. you're saying don't make it a trauma yeah. if that's not the child's experience of it. Exactly. The, the, the parent is creating the trauma in that situation. But mm-hmm. you're right. if a child experiences that and they are they are experiencing PTSD symptoms, they are really anxious about it. Yeah, let's let's. But then my guess is that there's more going on. That yeah. there is that that child is developing anxiety, probably from the parental reaction to a lot of things. 
Yes. You know, yes. That, that kids pick up on their parents' behavior. Kids pick up on their parents' reactions. So if you have a very anxious child, I'm going to bet that the parents are very anxious and that they're transferring it to the child. And so, um, you know, in those cases, I, I sometimes I feel like I got the wrong client here. I need to be talking to the parents. And I will, you know, yes. um, I will talk to the parents. And, and there's been many a time when I've said, you know, I really don't think the kids need therapy, but I would like to talk to you a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. about just how to handle things like this, because mm-hmm. we can we can really alleviate some of this anxiety and stress in your child by just being, you know, calmer about it and not mm-hmm. overreacting. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, a child's perception of, of an event can be really shaped by the response of the adults around them. Absolutely. And how big they make it. Right. Or how upset they are that is then communicated to the child. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's an important distinction that. I don't think is being talked about enough. So it's really glad that you brought this up in the book. Yeah. Yeah. So um, towards the end of the book, you talked about using art um, as your, uh, the therapist container and how you have used art to process what's going on with the case um and you make a delineation between doing art that way versus doing art as an artist right Uh, i found that a really intriguing chapter i I, um in training and working with sand i just the other day i i posted something about i like hearing how therapists are using sand tray for themselves Mm. you know and there was all kinds of postings like you know at the end of a day you know i might just put something in the sand it's sort of like helping me process the end of the day or or somebody said i just sometimes choose a miniature off my shelf that i think is going to inspire me that week and i just have it on my desk you know so so it was was just uh interesting and that chapter I found, I, I never thought of, I'm not an art therapist or an artist, but it, it never occurred to me that that art about one of your cases would be helpful. Yeah, well, it has certainly helped me, but art is the way I express myself. So, you know, I think that's why I turn to it. Um, yes. You know, and I like the idea of the sand tray and taking a, making a sand tray picture at the end of the day or taking a sand tray, you know, figurine or whatever. But yeah, for me, that is always how I've expressed myself. But I think that for me, the demarcation, the delineation between my personal art and art that I'm using to process clients, because I don't want my clients to come into my Right. That's, that's, a, that is, that's, yeah. that's an important distinction. Yeah, that my artwork is about me and what I'm dealing with. And I don't want client intrusion, you know, right. which is why I never see clients in my studio, because that's my space, you know. Yes. Um, but, you know, it it can be very helpful. The work that we do, you know, 
sometimes we need time to process it. And for me, making art about a client is a way for me to think about the client without consciously thinking, but more just getting my feelings about the client out on paper and then reflecting on it. Oh, wow. That, you know, I, I must be feeling much more intensely about this than I thought I was, you know, yeah. um, sometimes looking at the picture after I created, it's like, whoa, whoa, I thought that I felt that, you know, yeah. um, but, but so that's, it's a way to process. And, yeah. um, and I think, I think every therapist you know, needs a way for that, you know, and sometimes supervision does it. But a lot of times when I would make art about a client, I would take my art to supervision so that I could process it further. Yes, that was, that was really neat to read about too. And in fact, if you do supervision, which you told me you do, you might try that. Have your, have your supervisees draw a picture of how their, how their sessions are going. Yeah. What happens? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. Well, um, I want to end up things here with something that you talk about um, that's inherent in working as an art therapist, but I think is something that all of us need to learn that's lacking in this day of manualized treatments and such. And that is, you write about the importance of holding ambiguity. Mm -hmm. and you know maybe not quite knowing what's happening yet and the need to let that unfold rather than being compelled to name it treat it fix it Um, and that seems to be much more um, inherent in the work of an art therapist and and something that I think we can all learn from though yeah, thank you. I think what that's about, it's similar to the idea of therapists who talk too much. Don't try to jump ahead of your client. Mm-hmm. It's okay if you don't know what's going on right now. It's okay. Yes. You know, and I think part of part of my work, I've had the luxury of working long term with my clients. And yes. so that's a huge part of that is that I I can let the relationship develop and I can let the art develop. And, you know, I don't have to be in a hurry to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that that need to push and find out things it comes from a need that we have to prove our worth and, and make people better right away. And it just doesn't work like that. That's not what the attachment work is about. It's no. about long-term relationship. Yeah, we can't do that in six sessions. Mm-mm. No, we cannot. Yeah, we cannot. And in fact, Karen, some of my clients, I have, I've got about five clients that I started with when they were three or four years old, and they're in their 20s now and 30s. And I haven't seen them continuously through them. But when they have a problem, I know about it. And that's the relationship. That's because every one of those kids did not have a mother. And it's not that I'm their mother. I'm not their mother. But I became a maternal significant person for them because of my consistency in their life. 
Right. And you do mention that in the book that many times for children who are sadly being shuffled from foster home to foster home and residential treatment and you know, potentially adoption placements that don't work out. Sometimes the therapist is the one constant. Right, right. And and for for these kids, for each one of these kids, that was the that was the scenario. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. it's hard to stay in contact with with clients that are in the system. You know, and I think that yes. that um, and I also feel like like treatment is changing rapidly. They're moving kids out of residential treatments much faster mm-hmm. and getting them into foster homes that I don't know how successful the new the new way is where, you know, we we keep pushing them into the community and into foster homes. It's only as good as the foster home. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if they're getting the help and the therapy, you know, then then it can work. But if they're not getting the support they need. We're going to have trouble. Yes, yes. Well, Gussie, you you didn't know, but you've inspired me for 20 years. <laughs> well, thank you. So um, I would recommend everybody get your, your second edition of your book. Again, it's Expressive Therapy with Traumatized Children, Gussie Clore, Roman and Littlefield. Um, is there anything else you have going on that, that you want to share with people? Do you do training or anything? I, I know you're you're uh, retired from your faculty position, right? Or I am retired, and I recently retired from seeing clients too, um, mm-hmm. which was um, a very hard decision to make. But um, I guess I'm just in a new phase of my life where uh-huh. I'm focusing more on my own creative activities. And, yes. you know, I do miss working with kids, but, um, you know, this is a great phase of life, too. So, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your wisdom and for really your length of time in the field. Um, And, you know, so many people burn out that many times the children that need the most skilled therapists get the least skilled ones just because of the burnout rate. So really appreciate how, how long you have hung in working with the very complex um, problems. And um, thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattuck.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchattuck.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.